you involved with stories that are happening around the church. Um, I want to, uh, first of all, just kind of update you on some prayer requests that you can be praying about for families within the church. Uh, we do have um, several families that have <clears throat> been dealing with a diagnosis of the COVID virus, and so they're working their way through that. Luckily, none of them are severe or anything that's life-threatening at this point, so uh, that's very good. Um, also, we have some people who are continuing to fight cancer during this time, uh, battling that. We even have some great news with fam uh, families that have welcomed new lives into their homes with the birth of babies. And oddly enough, we have one family that the mother is both battling cancer and just delivered a baby. And so just continue to pray for those that you know um, are struggling with whatever it may be. Uh, there's different uh, spiritual things that we're struggling with. There's physical things that we struggle with, emotional. These kind of times bring out so many different elements that maybe <clears throat> in ourselves we weren't even aware of at one time. And so just continue to pray for the needs of the church. And you don't even have to know their names. You can just be praying in general for brothers and sisters within your church and lifting them up. Um, it's a great thing that we have to be able to have times like this where we reflect on things that we don't have. Uh, this is an odd way of, of having church, um, and I want it to continue to be an odd way because this should not be uh, what we get used to. We should miss the fact that we are not together and we're not with each other, and that's really what Scripture calls us to, um, not to sit in the comfort of our own homes and watch something from a distance, but to be a part of each other's lives. And prayer is so much an application of that Christian community because it's in prayer where life has touched life to the point that we feel moved to intercede on behalf of someone else to pray for them, to pray for their needs. So we want to do that today as we get started. So let's go ahead and let's just open up with prayer. Uh, God, with a <clears throat> profound sense of your uh, presence here with us, uh, Lord, we just pray that, first of all, that you would open up our hearts and our minds to the truth that you would want to share with us today. Holy Spirit, we invite you to interpret, to teach us, to help us to understand, to enlighten us to a truth that's beyond our human comprehension. So Lord, as we uh, humbly approach your word, we fully admit that we need your instruction, that we need your enlightenment to understand it, not only to understand it, but to even apply it, to live it out. We need you. And uh, I just pray that you would grant us that request, that you would open our minds to truth that's beyond us, but also open up the courage for each one of us to live out these things in our relationships and in the lives and culture around us. Uh, Lord, we pray for those who are struggling in our church, whether it be from the virus that has so impacted all of our lives, but for those who are particularly suffering through the actual um, virus itself, I, I just pray, number one, for healing for them. We pray uh, that you would give them a, a sense of your presence with them. Lord, I thank you for the church that for so many who have given so that we could help out those who are struggling financially because of the loss of job or income. Lord, I thank you for the many notes that we have received. Um, just people thankful for things that maybe we took for granted before, but also noticing um, things that are so beneficial to the church and to the life of the church. And Lord, there's so much that we do have to be thankful for. Lord, we are reminded that you are the father of lights and every good and perfect gift comes from you. And we want to be ones who are a thankful people. We're thankful for the good things that you've given to us. We're thankful that even in the moments of tragedy and even in the moments of crisis, um, Lord, that you are still faithful and you provide everything that we need. And we can trust you in that. 
And so, God, we just continue to ask that you would use your church in this day and time for such a time as this to proclaim your gospel, to further your kingdom. Lord, it all is based on what you've instructed us to do, and that's found in your word, and it's all empowered by your Holy Spirit. And we want to bring those elements today together to see what it is you have for us in this text. We ask this in the name that's above every name, Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. We're in, uh, we're in John 14, 15 to 24, which is uh, what Brad read earlier. And um, as we talked this week, this text is, um, this text and then later in 14 and in 16 is one of the preeminent passages on the Holy Spirit and the sending of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but it reads a little awkward if we start immediately in verse 15. And so as we talked this week, we thought maybe it would be best to start with the context, which really uh, begins in verse 18, and then back out to understand who the Holy Spirit is, the person and work of the Holy Spirit, and then the work, particularly in this text, that's emphasized. So, uh, so that's kind of the flow of what we're going to do. We're going to kind of move around a little bit different in the text rather than verse 15 all the way to 24. Uh, so let me read verse 18. Uh, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And, and so one of the things that we talked about this week is remembering the context. Jesus has said over and over again, I'm departing. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm departing. How is he going to leave? He's going to leave by death. That's going to be the hour, the moment of his glory. And obviously the disciples spent three years with Jesus, walking in lockstep with him, uh, running to him with any question that they had, being encouraged by him repeatedly, being, being confronted occasionally by him repeatedly. Uh, they're now hearing him say, I'm going to leave you. And immediately fear and anxiety and worry all come in. And that's why he uses the word trouble. Don't let your hearts be troubled or agitated or stirred up. And so all these mixed emotions come in and they're worried. How, how do we know what to do next? How are we going to know, how are we going to face all, all the issues of tomorrow? Uh, how are we going to know what to say? And he says this wonderfully encouraging and comforting thing in the entire text, but in verse 18 particularly, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm leaving, but I'm not going to abandon you. And then he says, I will come to you. Now what's interesting is that he says, I will come to you, but in the context of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so that's going to need some unpacking, but I think that sets the stage for why he's teaching this and what he's saying here. And so that leads us to the person of the Holy Spirit and who he is. Uh, and the announcement here in verse 16, he says, And I will ask the Father, and, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. And so uh, it says another helper. So what does that mean and where do we understand and how do we get that to be the Holy Spirit? Yeah, well, and what is, what is, what's going on here? I find it interesting, first of all, that <clears throat> we've been talking for several weeks about probably a 20 minute conversation. I mean, it's hard to believe that they're still in the upper room. I mean, Judas has just left maybe a few minutes ago, you know, and all this conversation. Yeah, so there's so much content and so much theology in this moment in the upper room that we can literally spend weeks unpacking what Jesus said to his disciples there. And um, I think that you can't understand this devoid of, of the conversation that they just had because it flows from that. And there was that misunderstanding. 
Um, you know, where are you going? How, how are we going to find that? And there is that worry that uh, there's a separation and, and you're leaving, you're gone. We're going to be left abandoned. We don't know what to do. And I love the fact that he picks up on orphans uh, because I was thinking about this today, this morning, actually driving over here. You're an orphan usually because of three reasons. Your, your parents die, your parents didn't want you, or your parents can't afford to keep you. And I think what Jesus is showing them is all three of those, and none of those are, are true about him. That he is going to die, but he's not going to stay dead. Yeah. That he has everything that they need. He's going to be able to provide for every need that they have, no matter what it is. And um, he wants them. Yeah. He, he literally wants this relationship with them. He's not going to leave them as orphans. He wants to have this relationship with them. And so that, how does that happen? I think it goes into this idea of the Holy Spirit. And that really becomes the central focus of the rest of this conversation. And the Holy Spirit, it's a very interesting word. Uh, in the Greek, it's the word paraclete, which, um, you know, those words can mean, have all kinds of nuances. But here, it literally means being with, to have, to be indwelt by. Um, and the, the word uh, kleos, which is the cleat part of that paraclete, uh, really means called out ones or the ones who are called to something. So, we are called to be indwelled with the Holy Spirit, which is a beautiful picture of what Jesus or how Jesus is answering this question, this fear, this anxiety that they have. They don't understand what he's talking about. They, they sense that this thing is going in a dreadful direction from where they thought, you know, just a few days before when they thought this was going to be the beginning and the ushering in of God's kingdom on earth and the Romans are going to be, now all of a sudden Jesus is going to die. He's leaving them. And he wants to comfort them with these words. And it's amazing that he says, I have to go so that I can send to you one who is going to be this paraclete. Now, the Holy Spirit carries these different roles. Um, one of them, obviously, is, is he is the one who enables us to actually believe. So we can't even be followers of Jesus right. without the Holy Spirit affecting that. And that's something we have to understand from the beginning because this passage gets a little confusing as you go on, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But I think number one, and we have to understand, the Holy Spirit is what enables us to believe to begin with. But even beyond that, and that would be like the justification part, even the sanctification part, he's the one that enables us to live out that belief. Yeah, he's to, chief enabler of that. Absolutely, to understand, to be convicted. I mean, as we walk through life, we maybe did things before Christ that now all of a sudden we feel this conviction of that I shouldn't do those things anymore. I shouldn't live that way or talk that way. That's the Holy Spirit convicting us and leading us <laughs> in those ways of righteousness. I think beyond that, we have to also understand that he's the one who gifts us to live out the Christian life. The scripture tells us, and Paul goes into detail in Corinthians about the, the, the spirit and how he gives to each one of us these different gifts that we have. And the gifts are for the benefit of the church. And so each one of us is gifted in a way to live out this nuance of how the church is supposed to live and act in the community and culture that it finds itself in. And so all of this is wrapped up in that person of the Holy Spirit. It's huge. I mean, obviously, we're not going to cover that whole topic in, in this passage here. But I do think that we have to create that 30,000 foot view of the Holy Spirit to understand where Jesus is going with this. I think the, uh, the good news is, is we don't get it all today. We have uh, later in 14 and then 16 as well. He's going to repeat this. And I think that the reason he does that is because the role of the Holy Spirit is so important. The person of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit is so important in the life of the believer in that he is leaving but not abandoning. 
uh, your words with, with orphan. He's not abandoning them. He is going to come to them and be in them in the person of the Holy Spirit. The word, the word paraclete, which is translated helper, sometimes translated guide or counselor, but also translated as advocate. And I think what's interesting is he says uh, in verse 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. So, so first and foremost, the implication is the Holy Spirit's not the first advocate. Later in 1 John, John's going to say Jesus is our first advocate. And the Holy Spirit is another advocate. And, and in trying to understand that, someone that's been helpful to me is, is John Owen. Uh, he's a Puritan pastor. He wrote a, a book on the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we have a quote, I think, that we can show on the screens this week. Uh, and, and this is helpful in distinguishing the two roles of the advocates. Uh, so, so Owen says, When God designed the great and glorious work of recovering fallen man and saving sinners to the praise of the glory of his grace, he appointed in his infinite wisdom two great means thereof. The one was the giving of his son for them, and the other was the giving of his spirit to them. And this is what's amazing to me is that, that Jesus is our advocate for us. He has come on behalf of us, and he stands at the right hand of the Father pleading for us. Pleading what? His righteousness for us. So they are mine. That's my child. That's my son. That's my daughter. That's my, my follower, my righteousness for them. But how does the Holy Spirit come? He comes as our sed- second advocate pleading to us. And that's so important. That's the essential nature of the Holy Spirit. He's pleading in those desperate moments when we doubt, when we fear, when we don't know if we're loved. Paul says the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and cries out, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit is the one standing alongside who's saying he's pleading Christ's righteousness to us. No, no, no. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're loved. You're cared for. You're wanted. He preaches the gospel to us. Uh, and, And so that's, in context, so essential and so important. When the disciples don't know where they're going or where Jesus is going and how they're going to live tomorrow, they're going to get one that's going to come alongside them, put his arm around, and counsel them and guide them and, and remind them of the love of Christ and the love of the Father that continues to, to, to go beyond this moment. This language that you're using, come alongside us, is not, you're not you know, pulling that out of thin air. That's the para part of the paraclete. Right. We're, mm-hmm. we're familiar with parallel lines. That's the Greek word para means to be next to. Um, so even in the name itself... Uh, it's to call someone to be alongside you, essentially, is what that, that word means. And I, I think all this is really important because what we're seeing is that um, the operation or the action of God as a triune being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are inseparable. So the Father's not going to do something differently from the Son. It's going to do something differently from the Holy Spirit. And you're starting to see the the big mystery of this text that's difficult to wrap our minds around is that in the power of love, because of the Holy Spirit, he's welcoming us into an eternal relationship that the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son have enjoyed forever that will mirror, manifest, as from Judas's question, to the world. Um, but all this is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And if we don't have the Holy Spirit, then we, can't, we, we don't have access to those benefits and to yeah. that grace. So again, going back to what Jesus said earlier, it's a good thing I'm going away because I'm coming back. <laughs> right yeah, in, yeah. In, a, in a mysterious way, hard for them to hear. Um, but, but he's saying that the one that's coming has a similar role to me. Yeah. I think it's interesting, too, that 
he's saying all this knowing that they're not even going to comprehend it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the evidence of what he's saying is they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. They're completely confused. And it's almost like, I think I said this last week, but he's saying this to lay the groundwork for afterwards when they do, that they'll look back and go, he was assuring us of those things. Because obviously even Jesus saying this, um, and it goes to the point of what you were making was he has to go first. He has to become the first advocate yeah. before we can ever have the second advocate. And so he's explaining to them, I have to go and make the sacrifice for you to be your first advocate so that you can have the spirit to right. come to you. And I think that that's, that's it's interesting to see how those two do play together. Mm -hmm. And it does really highlight the incredible sacrifice that Christ makes for us and what it affords us to live and to be like him because we couldn't do it without the spirit. Yeah. And I think about the encouragement too. Again, despairing disciples, fearful, they're, they're being abandoned. He said, no, 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 I'm going to be with you. And he's going to say later in verse 23, the whole Godhead is going to be with you, not just with you, but in you. That's, that's radically different than the entire Old Testament. They've heard dwell among. Mm -hmm. Now they're going to hear dwell within. Mm -hmm. And how is Jesus coming? He's coming in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. So, so powerful, so encouraging, because it's the, it's the fuel for everyday Christian living. It's the fuel, the energy, the power and I say it, it, I'm talking about the person of the Holy Spirit right. is the fuel, the energy, the power for every Christian living. He, he calls him the spirit of truth. And then he says, the, whom the world cannot receive. So what does he mean there when he says spirit of truth and then the world cannot receive? Um, we're given hints earlier in the gospel. Um, so in the first chapter, we're told that you know, Jesus came to his own, but they rejected him. We have this picture of the world rejecting him, the world not seeing him, not understanding him, not knowing him, speaking of Christ. And then just a few weeks ago, we had this huge revelation that Jesus says he is the way, the truth, the life. So if you put what we know of those two things together, what we're being told here is that the Spirit is coming to point us to Christ and to reveal Christ, to remind us of Christ to look at how he loved, to look at what he taught, to look at how he obeyed. Um, that's the Holy Spirit's role, is not only to empower, but to direct. Because, uh, you know, sure, it's, it's one thing to have gas in your car, but if you don't know where you're going, um, that's problematic, right? And so he's, like you're saying, he's empowering us, but he's also empowering us toward a destination, yeah. which is Christ and in, in, in God's revelation through him. And one of the things... Jesus is going to say in 16, I think 7 to 11, is that the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to convict the world yeah. of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And in, and in that context, bringing that verse into this, the spirit of truth, one of the things he's convicting of or, or addressing is our sinful self-centeredness mm -hmm. and Christ's righteousness. So he's, he's showing us, he's holding us the mirror it, the, of, of Christ's righteousness reminding us and telling us uh, we're insufficient. That's one of his initial roles is to remind us of that and then also to point us to the only one who is sufficient. Mm -hmm. So that's, is that what you're saying? That's, yeah, that's one yeah. of his initial primary roles. Yeah, there's a, there's a negative role and, that, and then there's a positive role. And the negative role we'll learn in, in 16, like you said, convicting the world of, of judgment, of essentially proving the righteousness of Christ true. Um, because of resurrection, his ascension, 
And then once you are the spirits and he's captured you, that role, then tra- it, it, it transforms from a negative towards judgment to a positive towards life. Yeah. Uh, con- conviction remains the same. I hope you're convicted of sin as a believer. Uh, if you're not, again, John's going to tell you in his letter, you're a liar, you're confused, there's something wrong. Um, but the destination of that conviction is radically changed. Yeah. A conviction from, from judgment turns into a conviction towards repentance. Why is it that the world, you, you might have mentioned this, I think you did mention this a little bit, why is it that the world cannot receive uh, the spirit of truth because it neither sees him nor knows him? Mm-hmm. And then he says, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's, a, that's one of those confusing verses in here. It's ha- they're disciples, they have not seen the Holy Spirit, but he's saying, but you know him. Or, or another way, you know him far better than you think you do. Mm-hmm. That's, that's an interesting wording there. What do you think is going on? Well, they've never seen the Father, but they have. Right? In and they, Jesus. In Jesus, yeah. yeah. And they've never seen the Spirit, but they have in Jesus. So again, um, this is why a, a biblical, orthodox understanding of God as triune is so important. Because if you see one, you see them all. Um, so I think that the same thing he's already told us about the Father and himself is now true about the Spirit and himself. Yeah. Um, and we know, when, when you say they don't know him yet, uh, Jack, I, you were talking about it earlier, I think, in the Old Testament, you kind of see the, the Spirit settling on one person for the benefit of the community. But in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, we're going to see the Holy Spirit settling on the community, mm-hmm. <laughs> not just the individuals, right? right? So they... It's an already not yet type of a thing, right? And, and, and when that spirit comes, uh, they don't have to wonder whether or not this is a spirit that comes from God because they know Christ. Mm-hmm. So they, they should recognize when the Holy Spirit comes, this is not a spirit we need to shy away from. We're told to test spirits, Paul says. But this spirit you should recognize because when he talks, you hear Jesus. Uh, yeah, he's yeah. pointing and telling. And yeah. He's the aroma and all mm-hmm. of those links, that, yeah. those words. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it, goes back to just the understanding of the word uh, paraclete is he's the one who is with those who have been called out. And that goes back to the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit was on those who had been separated or called out for a specific purpose. And we do in the Old Testament, we see specific people, whether it was judges or priests or kings, were separated for a very specific purpose within the kingdom of God. But in the New Testament, that changes in the sense that every single person who follows after Christ has been set apart for kingdom work, which then takes us to the aspects of the gifts of the spirit, not just one person, not just a king, not just a priest, every single follower and believer. It doesn't matter how insignificant they may seem to humanity or the world or how significant they may seem. God's economy is different and everyone has been gifted for a different purpose and we're all useful in the kingdom of God. And the the Holy Spirit not only empowers us to do that, but gives us the discernment and wisdom to know when and how to use those gifts as well. So that kind of leads us to the work of the Holy Spirit, particularly the works that Jesus highlights here. You mentioned several, but but there's some specific ones that he, he mentions here in this text. So the person of the Holy Spirit is coming. He will be your guide, your counselor. He'll be your teacher. He will be your advocate. Those are terms that define who he is, but they also tell us what he will do. And then Jesus gives us some of those hints uh, in this text. What, what are some of those things that he does in this text? To help us? Yeah, some yeah, of the help, works. Help us love, help us keep commandments, um, 
believe. And the, the core things that we keep saying over and over and over again in Jesus' teaching in John is uh, loving rightly, believing rightly, and, and living rightly or, or keeping commandments, um, which is you know, kind of how that section opens. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Um, well, that's not going to happen without the Holy Spirit. Right? Right. Um, having a perfect love like the Father, um, being perfect as your heavenly Father in heaven is perfect, can't happen without the indwelling and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Um, so what can't the Holy Spirit help us with is, is the better question, right? Because there's so much that he does. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you mentioned something that was helpful in determining 15, because 15, as we were talking beforehand, can be confusing. It sounds yeah. conditional. Mm -hmm. If you do this, then I yeah. will love you. Um, what, what was the language that you found there that was... So, so if then, um, when we think of if then, if is, is kind of this like con, un, indefinite uncertainty. So it's a, it's it's a potential reality if these certain conditions are met. Um, when I worked for when I was in the Air Force, I, I did computers, right? So we did programming. So there's if then statements, and the computer would just read until it got to if. And then it would go back through these conditions, and if those conditions were met, then. If they weren't, boom, program shuts down, right? So it was a very black and white, off-on type of a thing. Uh, and, and that's certainly the case. Um, that, that's here in this text. But there's another way that I think Greek's word if is a little broader than ours. Um, and I find similarities in the, in the German word then, which is associated with our word when, W-E-N-N -N in German. Um, so when these conditions are met, the promise is this will occur. So you can read what Jesus is saying is, when you love me, you'll keep my commandments. When your heart is oriented toward me and is empowered by the Spirit, you'll see commandments will follow. Um, of course, the condition's there, because if you don't, then you won't keep the commandments. But I, I, I don't think we should hear in this like a negative uncertainty and Jesus is being a taskmaster. What he's saying is there's a positive promise. When you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's good. So it's so more instead of a positive if, assurance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's less of an if then and it's more of a when then. Um, and, and that promise can only be fulfilled by the Spirit. Well, so he's going to say that same essential statement in, in verse 15. He's going to say it again in verse 21. <laughs> Uh, and then to verse 23, he says in verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And then in verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So uh, in other words, this really is a, an assurance or an evidence yes. of the work of the Holy Spirit and the new life that has come, the regenerating life of, in a believer. Yeah. yeah. That, that, I think, is I'm, as I'm thinking about myself and I'm thinking about people I know we've talked to in our own congregation uh, that are wrestling with their own salvation and their own uh, faith and the assurance of their faith. This is an, a reassuring, yeah. encouraging word here is that do you, one, love the commandments of God? John John's going to say in 1 John 5 that his commands are no longer burdensome. You, you mean you delight in the law of the Lord? Like, 
That's a radical transition. So to grow in your love for the Word, to grow in your love for His commands, to grow in your love for submission to authority is, to His authority, is a sign or evidence or assurance mm-hmm. that new life has come. And to, and to further highlight that, in both of these statements, essentially what Jesus is saying, and this is a very typical kind of Hebrew way of teaching, um, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Those who have my commandments will love me. So it's a reversal of the same commandments. But notice what he doesn't say. If you keep my commandments, then I will love you. Yeah. Right? That's he's, radically he's, different. He's saying that the, the manifestation and the evidence of your love for me is produced in, in obedience. So the, I, don't, I also don't want us to hear in this, I've got to follow these rules in order to get God's heart. Yeah. No, you're already enraptured by God's heart. Um, and, and now the life of a person who has been captured by that love looks like this. Yeah. Yeah. We don't You're, obey to get love. Right, we love. Exactly. We are loved. You're lo- yeah, you obey out obey. of that love. And I find yeah. that, uh, you know, for me anyway, to understand that in light of, uh, what is that, verse 18, where he says, I will not leave you as orphans. Mm-hmm. Because the whole thing about being an orphan is, I mean, are you going to earn someone's uh, yeah. right to come in there you, and adopt? No, you can't, you can't earn it. You can't yeah. display anything. You don't even know who they are. Yeah. You are completely powerless. And someone comes in and changes your situation. Yeah. And I think that's helpful because if, if you understand that orphan part, then the rest of it is easier to understand. Is It, it, it really is something that he is enacting in us. And I, I take it this way. Um, when I look at these passages... If anyone lo- who loves me, uh, down in verse, uh, what is that? I, my eyes are real bad. 23, Jesus answered, <laughs> if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. So it sounds conditional if anyone loves me, but I take it more as the, all of these things will be true in a person who has called out and has been adopted. Um, you're going to love me. The father's going to love you. You're going to see all of these things in that person, <laughs> instead of seeing it as a conditional thing, because it is a bit confusing if you only look at those pa- those uh, verses outside of the whole of the passage, and really the whole of the gospel. Because yeah. even though this one may be a little bit confusing, if we go back to John three sixteen and John chapter four and John chapter over and over again, you see that it's you can't do anything. You are powerless. Mm-hmm. I've enacted this in you. I'm going to accomplish this in you. And so you take the whole of it, and all of a sudden this begins to make sense. Yeah, yeah. If you look at if you look at it as conditional like that, then Jesus has uh, started this, let not your hearts be troubled. So he's talking about the core in your loves. Well, I'm troubled now <laughs> because I can't keep your commandments. So it must mean I don't love you, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so you, we, we have to, we, you, you have to saturate this text in the unconditional grace that he's, he's showing you. Um, it, in that unconditional grace um, becomes manifest. Like Judas is asking, like, how, how are you going to manifest yourself to, to us, but not the world? That doesn't make any sense. I'm not talking about a physical manifestation. I'm talking about the outworking of the community of Christ in love of God and love of neighbor. That is going to be a palpable witness to the world of who I am and what I'm about. Yeah. And I, th- I think Judas's question 
Judas not Iscariot. Not Iscariot. Yes. Bracket. Just uh, to be clear. <laughs> I, I think his question helps set the stage because it's a question that we all wonder. And, and I kind of referenced a second ago. He's asking, wait, how will we know you have... You, you said you're going to come back in 18. How will we know if you're not going to be visible? How will we know if you're not going to be visible to the world? And, and I think that that's a, that's a question that we all wonder. How do I know that God... That, that Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is at work in my life. Evidence, number one, is really new life. Mm-hmm. That there, there is a new uh, a transformation of the person that has, that has occurred. So I'm reminded of Ezekiel uh, 36, talking to Israel. God says he will, set, he will take out of them their heart of stone yes. and put into them a heart yes. of flesh. And then... He will put his spirit within them mm-hmm. and move them to follow his decrees. So there's going to be a replacement life that's going to come in and then a transformational living that's going to follow. So, mm-hmm. so you said three things a second ago, I think, new life. New, new love, and, and new, love new, new um, kind of beliefs, and then new living. And I think that that order is really important. Uh, the, the Holy, like you're saying, the Holy Spirit's going to replace uh, a heart of stone with a heart of flesh. He's going to circumcise heart. Heart language is so important because once the Holy Spirit gives you a new heart, you have new loves. And with that new loves, you pursue new truth. And with new truth, you learn and your mind is renewed again by the Holy Spirit to lead a new life. Yeah. Um, and, and if we have it the opposite way, if we think we have to do in order to believe, in order to love, we, we've gotten it completely wrong. And isn't that what the Pharisees were, were trying to do? Right. But what did Jesus call them? Whitewashed tombs. You're, you're so concerned about the core, but inside you have yeah. a, you're dead. It, I think that that is so the key for understanding the heart of this and the application of this. Uh, and the way I kind of in my head jotted down in my notes was it is worship that leads to the lifestyle, yeah. not the lifestyle that leads yes. to worship. And yep. I think that's the, the um, temptation we have here is I don't love Jesus, therefore I need to do more to prove that I love Jesus. And I think what he's saying there is if you find yourself not keeping the commandments, you can't just go out and try and keep the commandments better. Mm-hmm. You have to go back to the heart of it, which is worship. Mm-hmm. And worship is intimately knowing God. So if we find ourselves not keeping the commandments, it's because we're not trusting, we're not believing. How do you uh, affect that? How do you change that? You go back to the heart of the relationship and you get to know them better and you focus in on who they are and you understand the truth that they are your provision and outside of them, you are nothing. And then all of a sudden, as you grow in that worship, the actions take care of themselves. And we do. If we, if we get that reverse, we have a life of legalism, which is devoid of any true Christian joy. It is a burden to follow Christ. Mm-hmm. But if we understand the worship as the first part of it, then all of a sudden it is the worship that releases that joy of submitting to the Holy Spirit as he convicts us and as he draws us and as he directs us. Mm-hmm. The, I, oh, sorry, I was going to add one thing to it. Yeah. The, I mean, one of the greatest you know, examples of, of true repentance and restoration, Psalm 51. Uh, we're talking about heart and works in 16 and 17. David says, this is after he has a guy murdered because he slept with his wife, by the way. So what did Jesus say? Adultery, murder in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Like these are paramount sins, right? So David is asking forgiveness. He says, for you will not delight in sacrifice works or I'd give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, 
a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you don't despise. So again, um, God is more interested in fixing the inside. And when the inside is fixed, the outside comes. And, and, and so to that point, I'd like to kind of back up for just a second, think, thinking about, again, the assurances the new life overflows to new living. I think that's what yes. we're reiterating over and over again. So I, I love uh, C.S. Lewis does this. Jonathan Edwards does this. In A Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis talks about the rule in the reign of the white witch. Everything is winter, never Christmas, is what he says. Over and over again, everything is winter, never Christmas. So everything is dark and dreary and dead and cold and lifeless but never Christmas. And by Christmas, he's talking about joy and life and happiness and warm fires. And he says, but wherever Aslan goes, the Christ figure spring bursts forth. And Jonathan Edwards does the same thing. Wherever the spirit goes, there is spring. There is new life. Mm -hmm. So as an assurance, as a means of recognizing new life, are there, are there new, is there new joy? You said joy a second ago. Is there new joy? Is there new vitality, um, where there was a cold and dead and lifeless person, is there now a new joy-filled, uh, hope-filled person? And you can't, you can't manufacture that kind of joy no. and that kind of transformation. Well, then there's a second evidence of that that really helps us further, because that kind of can be subjective, and that is the outward obedience or the outward living, the outward actions, which will become evident as well. And I think that's why Jesus can say in verse 17, because it, uh, the world cannot receive the spirit of truth because it neither sees him nor knows him. He comes to convict of truth. He comes to convict of righteousness. They refuse Jesus. But the disciples have not refused Jesus. They have acknowledged Jesus. They have followed Jesus. They've submitted to his word and his authority. So what he's telling them is you know the Spirit far more than you think you do. Mm -hmm. You're giving evidence by your obedience and by your life, by your, by your acknowledging me as the Messiah. You're giving evidence that the Spirit is at work in your life. You may not know it yet. You will know it, mm -hmm. and you will know it more intimately. So I, I think those are two very important evidences, out, uh, new life, and then new loves, new affections. You, you use desire language. I know you love Jay, uh, Jamie Smith. Uh, he changes our desires and our affections and moves us to love the Word. And that's a question that we can ask ourselves. Uh, Psalm 1, uh, blesses a man who delights in the law. Of, he delights in the law of the Lord. Is that our delight? Or are we Psalm 2? We want to mm -hmm. throw off the reign of God. Mm -hmm. Which is your heart language? Which is your heart pattern? Which is the disposition of your life? Yeah. That's, a, that's a diagnostic tool that we can use in evaluating the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm reminded again in John 3, we talked about John 3. Jesus says you must be born again of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And then he talks about you can't see the Spirit. The Spirit goes like the wind wherever he wants to go. We can't see the air, but we can see the rustling of the leaves. So there's evidence of the moving of yeah. the Spirit. And that's what he's giving us here. He's coming. He will be in you. Not just him alone, but Jesus, the, the Father, the whole Godhead. And there will be evidence. You mm -hmm. can't mistake that evidence. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it will exhibit itself outwardly in, in new actions. I, I, I'm so glad we get to have this kind of conversation. We get to have another one 
again in 16 similar to it because so much of the church's um, attention on the Holy Ghost is, or the Holy Spirit is the gifts. And even in commentaries I read about the Holy Spirit, it's like Holy Spirit's third person of God. Here's all the gifts he gives us, right? Um, to use your Narnia example, as if Father Christmas's appearance was only about the things he gave the children mm. and not about his presence of, of joy. You have to get this first yeah. or you're going to mess up the gifts that he gives. You have to understand who the Holy Spirit is, his role, his actions, his, his desires for you before he can give you and equip you the things he wants you to use yeah. um, to, you know, to, to glorify God in your life. Um, I like uh, you, you use... Um, Michael Reeves' book, Delighting in the Trinity, Delighting in, the Trinity. in yeah. Ecclesia, and he talks about the Holy Spirit's, pri one of his primary objectives is to reorient our desires mm -hmm. uh, to, to radically reshape, because our desires are disoriented towards self and towards sin and towards pleasure, and he reorients our desires. And that, as you're saying, is primary yes. before... Uh, because otherwise we'll worship the gifts, not the giver that's right. again. That's in, right. In, in the spiritual sense. That's right. And so that's where we get disordered even yeah. in that. And so. then you get these two extremes, right? You get the Francis Chan type critique of the forgotten God. Uh, how many times do you hear about the Holy Spirit in your church services? Or the opposite extreme, where the Holy Spirit in certain denominations is the only thing we think mm -hmm. about. Yeah. And, and uh, in both of those instances, it's an, an, an improper understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. Yeah, that's good. So how do we wrap this up with uh, application? Well, I was just thinking, so we've talked about the person of the Holy Spirit, and we talked about the work of the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit is comfort. Mm. The presence of the Holy Spirit is encouragement to, to disciples who wonder if God has left them. I think that's practical right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, has God abandoned us? Has God left us? Has he forsaken us? Uh, is, how do I know that he's, he's still here? How do I know that he's still, still, still among us? Because he promised. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because the whole Godhead dwells within. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think the secondary element is the assurance of salvation, assurance of peace, the assurance of right relationship with God. Uh, there's tools and mechanisms and diagnostics here. Uh, how do I know that I am in right relationship, that I am following, that I am, uh, that, that, that I have, that, that I've experienced the transformation of the gospel? I think we're given these evidences yeah. here in this, in this text as well. And just a few of them, because there's so many more. First John just gives yeah. list after yeah, list yeah. after list, item after item mm -hmm. of assurances. Mm -hmm. And I think he's building on this teaching right here. Of course. Yeah, that's, that's my thoughts. Yeah. I don't know. No, I think you're right. You want to talk, what's application? Read First John. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, the that's, that's the application for this whole discourse. Yeah, yeah. no doubt. Yeah. And I think the times we live in, let not your heart be troubled. That's good advice. Very good advice. Um, you know, have you been abandoned and forgotten? No. Nope. Uh, we're assured of that. And I think the, uh, the other side of it is, uh, what has your worship been like in this time period? Mm -hmm. uh, is your worship less because it's not manufactured for you. You don't have the church telling you every little thing and where to be. I think that's the thing that we need to go, okay, it's time for me to grow up and understand that my worship and my relationship with Christ is my responsibility, not the church's to manufacture that for me. And the, you know, that's, that's not, I'm not spoke, speaking that in a uh, condescending way, but it just for us challenging. Too. Yeah, it goes absolutely. for us as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears> I, I would add two, two other things, practical points. Um, to your point on abandonment, again, 
How do we know that we've not been abandoned? It's the message, it's the truth, it's the proclamation and work of the Holy Spirit. He has come to us and he's preaching the gospel to us. Child, are you worried? Are you fearful? Look at the cross. Look at the, look at the Savior who stands by the Father's side right now. Are you, do you doubt your salvation? Look, Jesus is interceding on your behalf right now. Uh, do you worry? Do you fear? All of these things the Holy Spirit is saying, no, 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 no. Yeah. look. And then the other thing is Paul says, I think it's Galatians 5.25, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Yes. So as a practical point, if the Spirit is so vital and so important and he's proclaiming something so true and he's always using the word of truth, let us keep in step with him. Mm -hmm. Let us be in the word. Let us be inundated with it. Let it dwell richly within us and let us pay attention and tune our ears and our hearts to what he is proclaiming. And I think as a practicality in my own life, that's not what I've been doing. Mm. I'm busying myself with a whole bunch of other things mm -hmm. and not filling myself with the word, listening to the spirit, keeping in step with him. He's the one that directs for mission. He's the one that restrains from mission. Mm -hmm. He's... It's so, there's so many things we don't have time. So. <laughs> we'll come back to it. Well, yep. John will come back to it too. <clears throat> yeah, right. yeah. Well, um, I think that's a good good place to wrap up. Yeah. Um, well, let me let me pray for us as we close. And Father, um, we confess that you are sovereign over all. That you hold all things in your hand. That nothing catches you off guard that not even sin in the death of your own son could stop your work to proclaim your name and your glory throughout your creation. Father, what a wonderful thought to know the truth that we are invited into the restoration that you are doing even now through the work and person of your son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray uh, in confession that we do not love you like we should. But we know in repentance, your spirit crafts our hearts and orients them towards you. So Father, we thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit that indwells us, who points us to truth, who empowers us to walk the way, and who enables us to live the life, that being Christ. Father, we love you. Spirit, be with us as we are separated. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. 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 I know many of you are probably thinking um, with the quarantine or with some of the directives of the quarantine being lifted, um, are we going to you know, begin meeting next Sunday? And uh, the plan is right now is to stay with what we've been doing so far for one more week at least and see what happens. Um, one thing is we don't want to rush into creating an atmosphere or an environment that would be detrimental to anyone who is here. Um, and there's a lot of uncertainty that's still there. Believe us, we want to be back together as much as anyone does. And I know there is this tendency to rush right back into it and enjoy those things. But we as a staff have prayed about it and talked with each other, and we feel like we need to make sure that we just step into this slowly. So you will hear more and more, uh, either through social media or through your email. Um, there'll be many ways that we will let you know about when we begin to 
come back together and how that's going to be and the process of that over uh, weeks and, and months of what the rest of the summer is going to look like. So just be in touch with that. Look at your emails. Keep up with that. And uh, if you have questions, you can always email us or call us, and we'll be glad to uh, talk with you or answer any questions that you may have. And with that being said, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you. May he give you his peace. To you also. Thank you. Blessings.